probably good enough for me. Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board gaming. I'm your host, Julius, and this is episode 253. Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think, McFly. Think. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you wish we could time travel, Julius, and do that again? (laughs) What's awkward about this is that's our third take of that particular quote and now we're hearing hello hello and it's both ironic and factual for how the party <laughs> is currently going yeah we're having all kinds of audio troubles today setting all of that aside in case you don't necessarily recognize that you're not a movie buff like albert is today we are going to be talking about <laughs> back to the future the board game implementation of the famous movie or more specifically, Back to the Future, Dice Through Time, because I know that there are various Back to the Future games. <laughs> yes, yes, including, I'm sure, Back to the Future Yahtzee and Black, Back to the Future Monopoly. And, oh, but I'm some of those. those. I'm talking about designer <laughs> board games based on Back to the Future. <laughs> There's more than okay. one. And because I have it right in front of me, it's designed by Chris Letter and Ken Franklin and Kevin Rogers. It's ages yeah, 10 plus, two to four players, 45 to 60 minutes. Also, solitaire. Lovely. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, well, it's solitary because it is a completely open cooperative game. This oh, okay. in this game, you are working together with other versions of yourself. So everyone is practically playing as a DeLorean. But the idea is that you're playing as one of the versions of the main characters from the movie. Um, and you are all working together to travel through space and time to resort out the timeline that items have been lost all across the timeline and your goal is to pick up those items return them back to their correct locations and do that before the out of time marker has gone all the way to the game over space mm-hmm. now if, if we go back in time about three or four episodes i seem to recall saying this was the year of time travel didn't i <laughs> you know what that's funny yes you did Mm-hmm. told you <laughs> I okay. saw the future. <laughs> um, well, sure. Then we're going to go ahead and move in through time. All right. <laughs> Let us proceed. Albert, what is the first thing that we shall talk about now? Well, let's do a quick summary of the game. That kind of You kind of did, and I think most people know what Back to the Future is. But, I mean, if you don't, right, it's a movie from the 80s um, where Marty McFly goes back in time to, to save... I don't remember. I haven't seen it in so many years. Same well, it's not that he goes back in time. He's trying to fix the timeline. He because, falls back in time accidentally. Yes, he falls back in time accidentally, and then he has to fix things because he's ridden himself out of existence, and so he has to fix the timeline and not write himself out of existence, and then there's sequels that have other craziness going on. But that's all about the movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Again, yeah, in this game, it is a cooperative game where you're trying to pick up lost items, return the lost items to the right place in time, and do it fast enough that the out-of-time marker doesn't reach game over. Gotcha. Is this game based on one of the movies or all of them? It is based on all three of of the movies. Okay. All three of them are taking place. Uh, Okay, at the same time. Yes. Because essentially you are moving between the different movies and timelines. Gotcha. Okay. All right, so, so there's our game summary. And this is a dice game. Yes. But there is a board and stuff. So let's talk about the let's talk about the rules. Let's talk about the rules. Okay. So the rules 
are pretty standard rules. It's not a particularly long rule book. It's only, if you include all the pages, it's only eight pages. Um, the rules for the most part explain the general idea. I didn't have any issues with learning the rules, going through the rules. I think that it would have been um, perhaps more convenient to have some of the rules summary things being brought up a bit earlier or different in time. But otherwise I didn't really have any issues with learning the rules from the rules themselves. I think everything was just fine about the rules. No particular comment on it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at them online. They're, they look pretty simple. They, they're clear. There's icons all over the place. I want, you know, pictures of the board, lots of color mm -hmm. and short. But I would definitely like to talk about some of the components. Okay, let's do that. Components next. My first assumption was that these are going to be low-quality components because it's based on a movie franchise, and it's a light family game. So that that's my immediate assumption. But then I saw it's made by Ravensburger, and they right. have a reputation for good components. Yeah, your your assumption is pretty much wrong. Ah, <laughs> huh, okay. Uh, the components are actually pretty good. Let me talk about a mm -hmm. couple interesting things for it. So they have a general motif going for the game, which is yellow, blue, orange, and pink, which seem like good colors for colorblind, I assume. Um, but those signify the different timelines because there's the five different locations, physical locations, in the four different time periods. That's 1885, 1955, 1985, and 2015. Um, yes, the far-flung future of 2015. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Yeah. I never saw that last movie. I haven't seen that <laughs> well, one. 2015 is not from the last movie. Um, oh, it's not. The last movie is all the way back in the past. Doesn't oh, matter. Okay. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Nonetheless, so they have those three different colors which are used to associate for the different time periods. You are playing, again, as one of the copies of the main characters, and based on the color of the main character's DeLorean you have determines which time period you're going to start at. So if you have the yellow DeLorean, you're going to start in the yellow timeline, blue and blue, orange and orange, pink and pink. Similarly, there's a copy of Biff in each of the timelines, who's the bad guy <laughs> from the movies. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a yellow, blue, orange, and pink Biff, and there's a spot on the board for each of those to start with. Now then you can move through time in your DeLorean. Biff doesn't. He just goes through the physical space in each of his timelines. But they maintain those colors throughout, throughout the entire thing. Um, there's a deck of event cards. On, at the start of each round, you're going to be drawing a number of event cards, which is based on the number of players. So there's more events with more players, less events with less players. So you'll draw those events. The events will have, again, one of those four colors, and they'll list one of the five specific places in each of those timelines that the event will happen. The events are bad things that you have to go and resolve using your dice. So you have to get over there and then spend dice matching whatever is on the event to do it. There's a few events um, which are special events, which instead of getting placed on the board, they do something special, like they make it harder to do actions or move you around or move events around random type shenanigans. Um, so those are special events. But otherwise, the majority of this big deck of events are just cards that come up on the board. There's a smaller deck of item cards, and then that item, those item cards are actually subdivided into a, a deck of item cards for each timeline. 
Um, you can change the difficulty based on how many item cards you put in each deck. So if you want an easy game, you put two item cards in each deck. If you want a absolutely impossible game, you could put five item cards in each deck. Um, each of those decks are shuffled up and placed next to their respective timelines. Those item cards are the source of the game. Every time you complete an event by spending the correct dice on it, you pick up one of those item cards and place it on your board. Then you have each item card is again, has that same color motif. So if it's pink, that means it's got to go to the 2015 timeline. Um, you move around to get to the right space in time. So there's both a physical place and the temporal space that you have to do to, to return the item. And again, that's listed on the item deck on the item cards. So you get to that spot, you drop it off and that's what the cards are. So there's those two different kinds of decks. Um, a comment about those cards. So they are small cards, like the mini Euro size cards, mm -hmm. um, which is perfectly fine because for the most part, there's not a whole lot of information on them. The main part of what you need is just the dice icons and where they come out. Uh, and for the item cards, all you really need is just where they're supposed to go, which is just their whole icon. That's all it is, is just the icon. But you can even, it's listed in text form too. So the fact that they're small is not a problem. What's weird to me is I have no idea what type of card stock they are. But the cards that we had, even if after playing it a number of times, were very sticky. They're weird feeling cards. I'm not quite sure hmm. what is on them or what is up with them or what they're made of, but they're weird feeling cards because it's a large deck of cards, which when you're trying to just pull off, you know, five per round or four per round, it makes it uh, sticky, difficult to do that. I often found that I would put down a card and then I come back around and be like, wait, there's, there's two cards mm, stuck mm -hmm. to each other somehow. I know what and you mean, maybe, but but that happened after repeated plays, even. Yeah, like that usually after that. Plays. In my experience, when I have something that sounds like what you're describing, once I separate the cards, those two cards are no longer sticky to each other. But it's know. not. But it's just different. something. It's something weird, weird about the card stock because mm -hmm. the card stock doesn't feel like what I would expect to be a regular card stock. Okay. Gotcha. I, I can't really describe without tearing that, one of the cards in half and figuring out what's in it. <laughs> Don't but do that. Yeah. You I'm not going to do game. that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so, so it's weird. I'm looking at the, at the rule book pictures and there's some cards on the board on the picture. That's like four different cards and four different colors. Are those the mini Euro size cards also? They're all mini Euro size. The item cards. That looks like the there's a lot of detail. But are, are the cards I'm looking at, are they may, or maybe they're player cards? They just look like there's a lot of small text on them for mini cards. Well, those are not the mini cards. There is okay. also a large player mat that is that each player gets in each one of them. And these have a picture of DeLorean on the top of their reference cards, essentially. But they're large. They're very uh, big. Okay. Uh, and what okay. those do is those list the the phases of the game. And they also list a quick reference for what each of the dice do, which are really handy um, because it's a whole bunch of custom dice. Each player gets four custom dice in their color. Each die has all of the different icons on it. Um, 
and during gameplay, we'll go through and discuss what the different icons are. But it's a bunch of custom dice. Now, they're not particularly molded. They're not they're normal custom dice. I don't think that they're <laughs> custom dice as nice as, say, Pandemic the Cure. They're fine. They're perfectly okay. Normal custom dice? <laughs> well, I mean, there's ones that have a deeper etching to it that feels like they're going to really stay well. Uh, okay. These ones are not like these ones are not etched. They're just screen printed. Ah, uh, okay. Nice, <laughs> what you mean by normal custom dice? Yeah, they're uh, etched versus printed. Perhaps would be a better way of saying it. Okay. Okay. So one other question I have about the the board. The picture of the board, you know, it's like those four bright colors, and I could see the the Biff standing on one. And, in the matching colors. And then I hadn't spotted at first, but the DeLoreans are also on there. And they look like they're cardboard counters. They're not cardboard counters. They're plastic minis. Uh, plastic okay. movers. It's, okay. It's really hard to tell from the, uh, the picture here. Yeah. Yeah. They're plastic movers. They're nice looking. Um, they are kind of like they're, they're molded plastic. They're not particularly expensive components, but they're, they're perfectly mm-hmm. good. You're right. Yeah. Did you find uh, with all those bright colors that anything got lost on the board or anything like that, or the stuff blend? Or well, uh, the stuff blends for the most part. You can tell because each event card has a big black block of white on it. It's easy mm-hmm. to tell that a space has an event card. Um, okay. There are another couple tokens that come out on the board, which I'll get to right now. There are mm-hmm. the paradox tokens. Um, paradox tokens are one of the ways that the game has of, of accelerating the game. If you're not dealing with events, paradox tokens are going to start getting placed on event spaces, and that'll make your out of time marker go faster. And the out of time is how you lose the game. So those paradox tokens will go on the board. Commonly, what you'll want to do is keep track of how many paradox tokens there are across a whole timeline. Now, then those ones do maybe kind of blend a little bit. But the game is not so complicated that it's not easy to just notice and remember that they're there since you were the one that put them there last round, especially it's old when nobody else is handing upkeep for you. You were the one that put them there last round. You were the one who continues to interact with them. And so they're, even though they maybe a little bit get lost, they're not so hard to notice. Um, the last type of token that there are, are these Einstein tokens. Every time you complete putting an item out, you get a bonus Einstein token, which is just a token that's available on the board. It can be used as a bonus die of whatever icon it's showing. Uh, so it's essentially a reward for having completed one of the victory conditions. Okay. The last thing is that there's a standee for the out of time marker. I called a marker. It te- technically would be a standee. Um, it goes on the board and it's just used to track how far along you are towards death. Similar to like a pandemic epidemic breakout, things like that. It's just a tracker noting how far you are towards death. And it looks like a license plate. It looks like a license plate. It says at a time. Okay. Yeah. Custom license plate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, I believe that is the custom license plate for the DeLorean. Is it? Okay. I believe I so. Yep. Um, the last little bit, um, is a steering wheel from a DeLorean with a speedometer on top of it saying 88. That is used as the first player marker. Entirely an unnecessary component. On the whole, I think that all the components are bright, they're vivid, they're nice. With the strangeness, which was the strange cardstock, I think they're all good. The only real complaint I would possibly have would be that the 
similar to, say, Pandemic the Cure, you roll your dice and then you use them. And once they're used, you put them somewhere. The game technically has that when you haven't used them, they stay off your player mat. And when you have used them, they go on the player mat. Now, it feels to me like this is a big player mat. If it had labeled the space on the player mat as used dice, it would have been a lot easier for essentially to keep everyone on board. The problem becomes that, especially especially when you play solo, really more when you play with multiple people, there's nothing labeling to be what is your um, method of treating which dice are mm. used and which dice aren't. Mm-hmm. And the game, unlike in Pandemic, the game doesn't require that everyone take their turn one at a time. There is a little bit of looseness with how you can take your your turn around the board. Okay. I see, yeah, and invariably everybody's going to do something just a little bit different, and that could be confusing when you're when you're looking at the other people's stuff. Yeah, because sometimes dice are left, and by looseness, well, I'll explain more when we get to in gameplay because you do have to take actions clockwise around the board, but dice can be put on the board, held over. People can be allocating dice for how you're going to spend dice and what things you can do to it, and sort of stuff like that, mm-hmm. and just simply having something like setting aside would have been helpful on such a big board, just having a marker saying even something as useful as used dice just would have been helpful just so that everyone's on the same page on where things are. But no, <laughs> nay, it is okay. not, it is not the way they have it. How, how big of a game is it? How big is the box? Not so big. Is it like a uh, last week's game? I'm not sure what was last week's game. Uh, final hour? Uh, yeah, that size-ish. Okay. Like the network size. I'm not, not familiar with that one. Okay. I, um, um, yeah, okay. But not huge, not tiny. Not huge. There we go. Normal box size. Not tiny, not huge. Gotcha. Medium box size. Okay. Um, On to the gameplay. Theme. How about the theme? We didn't, when ah. we talked about the theme, is how does it feel? It feels feels very very back to the future each one of those events is denoting something specific from the game you are getting to play around with the delorean you're interacting with all the different timelines uh there is the rippling dice trick um which invests some of the time travel shenanigans the idea that you can put a die in past and have it be used in the future makes it feel like you're playing a time travel game and i was going to mention this when we get to the time trap when we get to the gameplay aspects of it but i believe that the the elements of the movie are well represented that if you're a fan of the movie i highly recommend the game just because Mm. of that (laughs) okay no needs okay so so let's jump back forward into gameplay again yes so let me talk about gameplay so I've mentioned a couple things about gameplay, but let me go over it with some specificity. So the first part that's going to happen with gameplay is that you're going to be drawing the event cards, and let's just pretend we're talking two players. And again, we're assuming that there is no true solo version of this, so you're going to have to double-handed if you're playing two players. But for two players, you'll draw three events off the deck, and let's assume that all of them go to specific locations. Almost all of them will say, put this on a certain location, and then you have to go solve it. It will have either one or two dice icons on it. 
if there are multiple events stacked in an area, you have to solve all of them at once. So it's possible to require all four dice to solve a set of events. It's really tough when that has to happen because they all have to theoretically be kind of perfect to be able to do that. Some of the locations will have a, uh, some of the event cards rather, will have a Biff icon. Now, all the Biffs start in specific places. If a Biff icon comes out, Biff has to go to that spot. You can neither solve events nor put down items while Biff is there. One of the dice icons has a fist on it. You can use a fist to bop Biff from one location to another location <laughs> in the same timeline. Are you laughing at bop? Yeah, I am. I don't think it says bop. You just move. It, it says move. But, but, but that's what it is. I mean, yeah, you're fighting him, right? Yeah, you're bopping him. It's a him. fist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It very it. much feels like you're just whacking the, the hedgehogs <laughs> in, the board, in the game and knocking them from place to place. But you're bopping him. We bop him. <laughs> Um, so that is how you would deal with Bob. Excuse me, with Biff. You bop Biff. <laughs> um, after that, everyone will roll all of their dice. Um, you then can look around the whole board and figure out how everyone is going to want to use all the dice and make a whole plan between all the players on who's going to go where, who's going to be able to solve what, things like that. Or if you're playing solo, talk to yourself and figure it out between the two halves of you about who's going to go where and solve what. <laughs> okay. Then starting with the first player, everyone gets to use their dice. Now then, let me talk about what the different dice can do. One of the dice actions is the flux capacitor. You can use the flux capacitor to move in the same location to a different year. So because everything is laid out in locations and timelines, essentially there's rows and columns. When you're moving to a different year, you're moving up or down in the same column. There is also a movement side of the die. That one lets you move anywhere to a different location in the current year. So essentially moving anywhere in the current row. If you want to get to both a different location, a different timeline, you will need both dice icons and you will need to spend both of those. The other one is the fist. We use that to bop Biff. Uh, mm -hmm. The other one is the lightning. You can spend lightning to reroll any of your other unused dice. There is also a wrench. A wrench is possibly the most useful icon. That one can be used as any other icon on events. Events will often say you need specific icons, like you need a flux capacitor or an arrow. If you use a wrench, it can stand in for any of those to solve events. Very useful. The last okay. icon is a Doc Brown icon. You can use it to remove two Paradox tokens. I'll get back to the Paradox tokens in just a second. But note that that is a useful action you can take. There are two extra things that dice can do. The first is that any dice icon can be used to move one space in the same timeline. So you can move one space horizontally um, using just any single die. Additionally, you could discard any two matching die results to use any one other icon. So if you have two lightnings, you can spend two lightnings to travel through time, for example. Um, your goal is to move to a location. All the events are on a specific location. You have to be on a location to solve it. When you solve an event at an at a excuse me, when you solve an event at a location, you will then get to pick up one of the events from that timeline. So if you solve a 1955 event, you'll pick up one of the 1955 uh, uh, items. That is the only benefit that you get from solving events, other than the fact that the event and any paradox tokens on that location go away. 
Mm-hmm. So there's no real, it's not like you get rewarded very much for solving the events. You just get the items. Um, you're only allowed to hold two items on your board at once. So you have to balance when you're able to do it when you're not. Similarly, if there's not an item at your timeline and you solve an event there, you don't get to go to a different timeline. You just have to solve it. All the items go to different timelines than the one that they're drawn from. So if you're drawing from 1955, your item's not going to be needed in 1955. It's needed somewhere else. So you then have to travel across the board to go drop it off wherever it is that's needed. It doesn't take any dice to drop it off. You just have to be at that location and not have Biff there. If you can get back there, then you get a bonus. The first thing that happens is that you move the out-of-time marker one space to the left, so essentially you get an extra out-of-time spot. Plus, you get that Einstein token that we talked about. Einstein tokens are essentially bonus dice. Now, another thing that you can do with the dice is you can ripple dice. That means that you can put a die down on a previous time space so let's say you put it on 1955 anyone else can use that die including you theoretically next round can use that die in a later time period so if it's down in 1955 a person in 1985 or 2015 can use it but a person in 1885 to look at the times a person in 1885 cannot use it because it's in the past. Mm-hmm. Similar to time travel, you can time travel things forward. You cannot time travel things backwards. This mechanic makes this game all of a sudden feel like time travel. Without this mechanic, it's rows and columns. You're moving around rows and columns. There are some things that let you move across rows, some things that let you move across columns. With this mechanic, all of a sudden, hey, wait a second, it now feels like an actual time travel game. I can affect things from the past and past into the future, but I can't affect things from the future into the past. Hmm. It, that's what I was going to ask you about, like, does it feel like time travel? That's neat that it does. Because I think some of the, the other games we've talked about didn't necessarily feel like time travel, even though the theme was time travel. But correct. Was, like talking about the loop, the loop, theoretically doesn't feel like time travel. It's just different ages going around the board, especially because it's a circle of a board. This one does feel like time travel because of this one mechanic. This one mechanic manages to save it and make it feel like time travel because you can ripple dice on through time. Mm -hmm. It's a very good mechanic. Not only does it sort of tie together all of the themes to the game, it also is a very good game in terms of strategy and planning because you can only use rippling dice from the same location. So if you drop a die in clock tower, for example, you can't use it at the school. It has to be in the clock tower. So there becomes a lot of times when you or multiple players have to think, well, if I come over here and I drop this die off here, can someone else use it to solve an event here? Is it able to help out any at all? Can I let, can I use a move action, drop off a move action and let someone else use a move action. So there's a lot of different sorts of things you can use for it. You can even use ripple dice in order to be able to use it with the Mr. Fusion or just to use it to take a single step. There's a whole bunch of things that you can do with the dice. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds pretty cool because if you roll your dice and you say, you know, I can't use this one, I so I'm just gonna I could set over here in the past and somebody else could use it next round, which is great, or myself, I could use it next round. 
But then well, I, you also have the risk that it may not be usable next round if nobody's over there. And now you're say, now you're playing with three dice. Yeah, I will say you can always pick up a die that you leave on the board before uh, you roll your dice next round. It's not stuck there. Oh, so okay, there's okay. no problem with picking it up. The bigger problem is that players often forget. <laughs> I won't say players. I often forget. <laughs> I often forget to pick up the dice. It's a problem. Mm-hmm. I just fudge it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oops, I meant to roll that. So you yeah, I meant to roll that, exactly. It happens all the time because I left it on the board and then put it over here. But yes, you can pick it up, so it's not such a risk. Often, you'll always want to pick it up because you don't necessarily know what sort of plan you have beforehand. Generally, unless you're like, I definitely am going to need that to solve this event. I need it right now, no matter what. I know I'm going to use it. Unless you're in that sort of situation, almost always mm-hmm. want to do it. Right. It now sounds that, like that that'll be less often than than the yeah, other much yeah, less more often. often than not. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There is one other mechanic that I want to mention, even though it almost never happened to me. You aren't allowed to. No, you shouldn't have two movers end up in the same space. If they do end up in the same place, there's a penalty of two spaces that you have to go forward. Playing it two-player solo. I never saw this as an issue. We only ever got to play it once with four players, and that was because we had two players playing two players each. Uh, I just can't. It's just not an issue that comes up very often. When you said two spaces forward, you meant on the out-of-time track. Yeah, on the out-of-time track. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that makes sense because that causes some sort of conflict where you're meeting your your past self sort of thing. Yes. Don't meet yourself. Yes. Yep, yep. Okay. Yes, exactly. Neat. Um, So I'm not sure if that was just because that's the way the movies have it or if they needed that for the game. No clue. (laughs) But it's it's a thing. I do think it's an issue meeting yourself. I don't remember. But I only ever saw the the first one. It's an issue in the movie. I just don't know if they did that because it was an issue in the movie or because they did it in the game. I I don't know if it was necessary for the game. It almost never happens. Like, I'm not even tempted to do it because you Mm -hmm. often want to have people covering different areas. What's the reason to be in the same space? The other guy just got that space more than likely. Right. So you're right. Just don't go in there. There's no reason right, to go spend, in there when the other guy's yeah. covering it. Like yeah, don't don't spend. The reason your he's dime. there is because he's got it handled. So yeah. Okay. Whatever. Anyway, after everyone's taken their actions, you'll then advance the out of time marker. The way to do that is a little bit complicated. Um, like the most complicated part of it was this. You'll check to see which year has the most locations with events. Note, you are not counting which time, which which timeline has the most events. It's which year has the most locations with the events. So the max it could be is a five. Even if there's, say, 15 cards across the locations, the okay. max is five. Have to emphasize this. Whichever has the most locations, you will advance the out-of-time marker by the number of locations with oh. events. Again, the max is only ever five, not 15. And the track only goes with 12, so if you've got five on there, your game's almost over. Oh, yeah. You're in trouble if that mm-hmm. happens. But it makes it easier because you can focus on the, t- on the location, on the events, on the locations with only one event and just leave the ones with a bunch just sort of to build up. Yep. And so and um I, I see what you mean by it's complicated, but it's easy to tell when you're playing the game. It's it's very easy once to you've see learned the, the rule. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, once you've learned it, it's super fast. I mean I'm looking at the sample here in the in the rule book and yeah, right away I could tell three. Three is the answer. Yeah. 
You just have to learn the rule. I played with a couple of people like, wait, I'm confused again. Why did, why isn't this one? Why this one has like six and that one only has one. What, why? Yeah. There was definitely, you read the rule book and yep. Okay. So the rule book is perfectly clear on it. It's just a rule that requires repetition a time or two. The next trick is that that year also, um, if it has any paradox tokens, each paradox token in that year moves the event, the out of time marker one space. So if say 1955 has three locations for the events and two paradox tokens, you're moving it five spaces. Mm. That's bad. Okay. Then you will add a paradox token to each location that has an event that doesn't have a paradox token. So again, in my example just now, where you moved at five, one of those locations didn't have a paradox token, you will add a paradox token to that location. And if you don't clear any events from that next round, you're going to clear, you're going to move the added time marker six, and it's going to be bad. Yeah. (laughs) That is 11 of your 15, and you are in trouble. That's, that's neat. Okay. Okay. (laughs) That sounds fun. It sounds really fun, actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, most definitely. Yes. Um, once you've added paradox tokens, you will pass the first player marker around. You will continue back to drawing event cards and you will continue to spin around the game. Once all of the misplaced items have been returned to the correct times, even if all the events are not done, you win the game, which means that probably, or at least so it has been every time we've won, the last turn of the game is all about Ignore all the events. Can we finish the game now? Yes. Good. No. Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of just how it has to go. And that until then, you're just sort of scraping by trying to balance between events and items. The last thing, like, we don't care about events anymore. The events don't matter. Just return the items. Because as soon as you return the items, no matter how many events are out, you do win the game. Game's over, yeah. You lose the game if the out-of-time marker gets all the way to the end. If it gets to the end, then it's the end. That's it. Okay. That sounds like it's pretty simple to play, and it sounds like it's a lot of fun. I do think the game is pretty simple to play. It It's not a particularly complicated game. There's not... There's not depths of strategy. This feels about on weight for something like Pandemic the Cure. It's a dice game. There's a fair amount of luck and randomness that comes into it, but it's luck and randomness that, that is built up. Unlike in Pandemic the Cure, where a single die can all of a sudden move you halfway around the board, the luck is just, do you get what you want? And there's ways to mitigate that by mm-hmm. by rippling dice forward, by using Mr. Fusions. It may just take you a bit slower, but it doesn't feel like a single die is going to mess you up by suddenly just blowing up and not giving you a turn. But it still feels about that weight level, which is a good weight level to be hanging at. Um, there are a couple issues that I have with the gameplay. I think one of the main things is just that there's rewards you get from solving events. And there's rewards you get from solving, uh, from returning items. The only reward you get from an event is you get an item. And you get two rewards for returning items. You get an out-of-time movement and you get an Einstein token would have been great if they had placed some reference to both of those things on those giant player (laughs) mats, no mention of it. And for quite a while, 
people who are who are just resolving events were like, hey, we did it. We moved back in out of time. No. That's step one. And then when we're returning items, we would forget to do one or the other of those two rewards, but you get both rewards. Would have been just just prime if they have added both those <laughs> things. They didn't. Somewhere. Anywhere. Even on the on the board. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere anywhere. I would prefer it just to be on the giant player mats that they give us because they're giant player mats. <laughs> There's plenty of room for it. I don't after playing the game so many times, I really didn't need the turn faces. The turn faces are pretty simple. I really did need the rewards. And it just wasn't printed. But even behind that, like there's there's room that they could have put it. It's huge. <laughs> it's just gigantic. It didn't need to. Ugh. Yeah. It that's it. It's a neat looking game. It looks like it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect, but it it's it works. I mean, finding a perfect game is an awful thing. Well, yeah, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> It, it is a really perfect, fun yeah. game. It, okay. It's great cooperative game. It's there's luck. There's dice involved in the game. Whenever right. you have dice, the dice can mess you up. The dice can leave you without options. And there's sometimes where you're going to end your turn. You're like, there's nothing I can do. I'm using half my dice and there's nothing else I can do with it. You can't hold dice over for the next turn. You can't slowly chip away at events. And so there'll be times when you have a timeline full of events and you're looking at like, I don't have any doubles. I don't have any lightnings. I don't have any way of getting away from where I am. I don't have any events I can solve. I don't have a turn. Good day. Mm. (laughs) Good day, sir. That happens. It's a dice game. Stuff happens. You, you do not necessarily need to love back to the future to either enjoy it. Um, If you enjoy back to the future, I really, really think you'll like this game. I think it's really fun if you like Back to the Future. I think you will probably enjoy it even if you... I don't think you'll enjoy it if you dislike Back to the Future. Well, yeah. <laughs> but if you're if you're neutral on Back to the Future, I think that you will enjoy this game. I think that you will en- enjoy playing it. On its hardest difficulty mode, I think you will enjoy never winning the game. Yeah, it has different difficulty levels. And on the hardest difficulty level, you are absolutely ridiculous and you will never be able to do that. So <laughs> good, good luck. Um, it's not a particularly expensive game because it's only got a little bit of plastic. It doesn't have etched dice. It has printed dice. Um, so it's not particularly expensive. I think the art style is really nice. I think a lot of the style of the components are really nice. I think most importantly, the gameplay nails the theme that they're looking for by having you ripple dice and Mm -hmm. play with the events that happened. I think that they've got that strong and on point. So I give that, I, I I definitely would give it a strong recommendation for the weight level that it's at. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Uh, I, I like this game. It sounds like a lot of fun, like a lot of fun. looks great. Family friendly. It's all around neat. Indeed. All right, Julie, as well. I think we're out of time.
Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractalude on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.